You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Katherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or are going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Hey guys, I'm Katherine Griffiths. And I'm Stefania Romeo, and you're listening to This Life Explains It All, Vera's podcast. This week, we're talking to Stephen Kessler. He's a marriage and family therapist, certified EFT expert and trainer, and the best-selling author of The Five Personality Patterns. He is an expert in so many of the different psychology modalities, including things like character structure, NLP, and energy work, emotional freedom techniques. And he's been teaching groups and workshops all over the world, helping men and women heal their wounds and grow into their full adult selves. In this conversation, we focus on the five personality patterns, also the focus of his latest book. These are the patterns that we adopted as children in order to feel safe. It's really interesting. He helps us understand what our patterns are and how they show up in our lives now. You're going to learn a lot about yourself and about how to deal with the others in your life by listening to this conversation. Yes. And we have a very exciting and special offering as part of this episode. We are giving away one signed copy of Stephen Kessler's book, The Five Personality Patterns. I actually just got the book and started reading it and it's really good. I've already learned so much about myself and others. So to enter, go to our Instagram at Vera Life and go to the post that promotes this episode. Share your favorite part of the episode on that post as a comment and you'll be entered to win the signed copy of this awesome book. Okay, so look out for that post. In this episode, we talked to Stephen about his work around the five personality pattern framework, which what each pattern is and how you know which one or ones you are. Stefania and I share which one resonates the most with us. And then Stephen talks about how and where we may have picked that up. This was really interesting for me. Yeah, we talk about the strategies for understanding and then freeing yourself from feeling stuck in whatever pattern you are working with. Trust us, once you get into the episode, you'll understand what all the patterns are and when and why you do them. He also talks about EFT, which is emotional freedom technique, and how we can use it to release trauma and emotions in the body as it relates to navigating our our personality patterns. All right, let's get into the conversation. I'm really excited to dig into all the personality types. To start out, what is your story? How did you get into this work? You know, my life has been a very winding path. When I was young, I was really interested in physics as sort of, you know, the priesthood of our real religion in this society, which is, 
you know, physical materialism, matter and energy kind of thing. And then in high school, I got into drama and I started to notice I would go to all the school plays and I would notice these people are having emotions that I don't have. Why don't I have these emotions? What's going on with me? Because I was really pretty tightly wrapped as a young man. You know, I had all the usual traumas going on and I had shut down in many, many ways. And then I went to college first for physics and decided I really didn't like that. I didn't want to design bombs and then left physics and went to acting school, which opened me up a lot emotionally. And, you know, I got to study human emotions more. I got to pursue that question of, so what's going on with all these feelings and emotions and stuff? I was in a rep company for four years and then left that because I was never really going to, you know, become a great actor. I was not that talented and sort of wandered through metaphysics and then into parapsychology and then into transpersonal psychology and uh, came out here to California to study transpersonal psych, and then into being a psychotherapist, and then um, into all sorts of meditation practices, and eventually into energy psychology. So it's been a weird trip, but it's a lot of it has been about uh, looking at people and trying to understand why do we seem so different and why is it so hard for us to understand each other? and to understand what's going on with each other. And part of what happened for me when I was an actor was that I got to play all sorts of different kinds of people and see what it was like from the inside. So that was a big help. We are fascinated with your work around the five personality patterns. To ground us in this conversation, can we get right into what are the five personality patterns? Sure, sure. So this is a map of personality that originally started in about the 1930s with a guy named Wilhelm Reich, who was one of the star students of Freud. And Reich was much more attuned to the energy world than Freud. So Reich began to notice that there were actually different energy flows associated with different kinds of He was thinking in Freudian terms and psychological terms then, so pathologies and resistances. And he started seeing sort of clusters of traits and symptoms and ways of running your energy. And then some of his students, Alexander Lowen and later uh, John Parakos, began writing about it. Reich himself wrote about this, but he's really hard to understand these patterns of, you know, different people working with them began to realize that, okay, it was first Alexander Lowen who was able to sort of narrow it down to five different ones. Lowen was using Reich's names for them, which came from Freudian psychology, which was quite grounded in pathology. So they were very pathologizing names, like schizoid and psychopath and masochist and oral and rigid. Or phallic narcissist. Yeah, it was, it's really hard to figure out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of, uh, a lot of Freudian terminology. And also the names, 
I mean, nobody wants to be associated with names like that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so then a whole lot of people who've written about this have tried to sort of lighten it up by renaming the patterns for the gifts of each pattern, which I think is a mistake because it then gives you the idea that this is something to aspire to. They would name it the lover or the creator or the challenger defender or something like that. Yeah. I renamed the patterns for what their safety strategies actually are. Because each of these patterns originates in and then develops from a safety strategy. And what do you mean by safety strategy? It's something you do to try to feel safer. And it turns out that fundamentally, especially when you're really young, there are only five things you can do. And this is five ways you can move your attention and move your energy. It's not what you can do with your body, but what you can do with your attention and your energy. And the five things you can do is, if something is upsetting you, you can move your attention away from it. You can get away. Another thing you can do is you can move your attention toward it and try to get that person to take care of you instead. This is what a little baby does when it's unhappy, you know, cold or hot or wet or, you know, needs burping or something. It, it cries and it gets someone to come and fix the problem. And that's a very natural stage and, and action. So you can move your attention away. You can move it towards. You can pull your attention in and send it down into the ground to hide, to like fly under the radar. To like If you can't escape getting punished or humiliated or beaten up every time that someone notices you, you don't want to be noticed. So you learn to hide. The fourth thing you can do is you can bring your energy up. Notice that's the opposite. Instead of pulling it in and down, you bring it up and out and you try to get as big and strong and intimidating as possible and fight them. Mm. The fourth thing you can do is fight. The fifth thing you can do is contract your energy to try to narrow the stream of life energy through your body so that you will feel less in the core of your body and instead be able to pay more attention to the outside, to your performance, and you'll be able to perform better. That is being a good girl, mm. being a good boy. Mm-hmm. You know, performing according to the rules that mom and dad lay down. So the five safety strategies are leaving, which is going away, going towards, which is merging. You're, you actually get confused about where you end and they begin. You, you try to stay one with them. So leaving, merging. The third one, the, the hiding one, you pull in, you go down, you hide, and you try to endure. I named that enduring. You are trying to keep your head down, let the storm blow over, and just wait it out. Fourth one, fighting the aggressive pattern. You bring up as much aggressive energy as possible. You act aggressive. You intimidate the hell out of other people. And you try to coerce them into doing what you want. And the fifth one, pulling your energy in uh, sideways, narrowing the channel, and then paying attention to all the rules and following the rules is known as the rigid pattern. And it's actually been called a rigid pattern long before I got to it. Because rigid really captures the effects of that pattern so well. The person's body gets rigid. 
their thinking gets rigid. Mitt Romney would be the poster child for this. (laughs) Very successful man, according to the rules. Made a whole lot of money in business. He has, you know, the perfect wife and family and house. And he looks good. You know, he's always clean and neat and trim. He speaks properly. But when he went out on the campaign trail to connect with voters, he just couldn't find the heart connection and he couldn't quite get enough people to vote for him. Hillary Clinton has a little bit of the same problem, a little bit rigid. And so that's essentially the energy in example. It's not pulling in and going down. That would be enduring pattern. Rigid is trying to perform well, trying to be a good boy or a good girl. Mm, Okay, understood. So the five safety strategies, and, and I use their names for the patterns, are leaving, merging, enduring, aggressive, and rigid. Yeah, so the first thing to realize is these these are not a typology. We're used to typologies like the Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram. Those are typologies and they say this is who you are, birth to death, get used to it. Mm-hmm. Same thing with astrology, for instance, or numerology. With this map of personality, it's not who you are. It's what you do when you feel scared or uncomfortable to try to feel safer. Now, You do it so often as a kid, because it's what works for you, that it becomes conditioned into your body and becomes automatic. So it feels often like you can't help it. But in fact, it's not what you do. And that's a real important thing to remember, that who you really are is your presence, is your essence. And these patterns and these safety strategies are just what you or some person does to try to feel safer. So when you see some other person go into pattern, you realize they feel scared or upset or like they're in danger somehow. I could help them feel safer. And that would help them come out of pattern a little bit. Oh, I love that application because I was going to ask if we're Well, if we're starting to think about, okay, which one am I or what do I go to Uh or what might someone else be going to, does it tend to be the same one all of the time? Like you are conditioned with that same pattern. They they do tend to get conditioned into your body. So uh, what happens is when you're a little kid, you know, you have a situation in your family. You're growing up, you got your family, your birth order in that family, your parents, your culture, your community. And, you know, maybe you have an older sibling who beats you up or maybe being the pretty one or the smart one is already taken in this family. And you're thinking like, well, who can I be? Maybe I can be the funny one, right? So you have your situation and you have your problems and then you will try to solve your problems any way you can. And as a little kid, you'll try out each of these. In fact, if you're raising kids, you can watch them. You can watch them try, like, I'm going to be big and strong and intimidate you. One client years ago told me about her son, who was like three or four at the time. And she said, he sits on his tricycle and he looks up at me and he goes, I'm bigger than you are. She said, you know, it's really cute. And it's exactly what his dad does. Mm. So that's where he got it. He's copying, (laughs) right? (laughs) And that's what we do. We copy anything we see. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So as a little kids, to try to solve our problems, we try out each of these five strategies. And then whichever ones work, we do some more. If you can't pull it off, a particular strategy, it won't work for you. Like in order to be bigger and intimidating, you have to somehow be able to pull up a lot of energy. Physically small, you've got to be able to pull up a lot of energy. If you can't do it, the other people, especially the other kids in school, you know, they just laugh at you. They say, come on. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like you tend to go toward one. Actually, more than one. More than one. Okay. Yeah. And that's another important layer. It's a little more complicated in this. A person does usually two of these patterns. Some people even do three. I've never met anybody who does all five. That is, does all five automatically. And it's important not to confuse doing a pattern, which by which I mean using that safety strategy automatically, not confuse that with having learned the skills of a pattern or the gifts of a pattern. Like you might not personally do the rigid pattern. When you're scared, you might like not you know, pay a lot of attention to the rules and try to be good. But you might have been raised by two parents who both do the rigid pattern, and they taught you how to keep your room clean and how to keep everything in order and how to be on time and how to know where you left your car keys. And so you have those skills, right? But maybe you didn't learn them by doing the pattern. You learned them because someone taught you. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Could you share an example of how these show up in adult life? How each of these might show up? Because like, I feel like I have an idea of which two I gravitate towards, but having an example might help put right. it into context. So usually what people mean when they ask for an example like that is show me the personality traits. And that's possible, but it's also a little bit misleading because what we're really talking about is what safety strategies do you use? So the way to tell which patterns you do is to watch when you get distressed as you shift from happy, contented, safe into a little annoyed, a little more annoyed, a little frustrated, a little scared, a little ashamed, a little, you know, more and more distress, as the level of distress goes up in your body, what do you actually do to try to feel safer? Is it that you tend to go away? Is it that you tend to go toward and try to get them to like you? That would be merging, right? Is it that you pull in and go down, you hunker down, you go silent, say, I'm not going to play with you. Do you go up and try to get big and strong? and intimidate them? Do you try to be good? Follow the rules, whatever the rules are. And the rigid pattern is a little trickier than some of the others because a lot depends on what set of rules you're following. So the set of rules for the Libertarian Party or even the Republican Party would be very different than the set of rules for hippies in the summer of love in San Francisco, right? or the set of rules for the Catholic Church, or the set of rules for the Communist Party, or the set of rules for the Jewish religion, right? What set of rules makes a big difference? This one's so interesting because I think that I definitely 
This is one of my patterns, probably the main one, the rigid, the other words you use to describe it, the rules. Because, and I think sometimes it has to do with like, what can I control and like reducing that level of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I would imagine, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if this is true for sure, but maybe there's more of this being expressed right now because there is such a lack of you know, certainty, control now and in, in what's going on in the world. So I'm interested, I'll be interested to hear from those listening if that comes up as, as one of the main ones. But my question is, I've heard you talk about these now, both in the context of identifying our own pattern and then also identifying the pattern in someone else. Right. When we look to use this work to help ourselves what does that ideally look like? Does it look like identifying it in ourself? Does it look like identifying it in our partner and going from there? Like what would be a next step once we start to identify this? Right. So the whole point here is, I mean, you can sort of think of it like getting out of prison. The first step in getting out of prison is you have to realize that you're in prison. Now, in this case, the prison walls are invisible. But these patterns, and remember, you probably run two. There's one that you go into first when you get distressed. And then when the level of distress hits some threshold, you'll switch into number two. But these patterns have probably been making most of the big decisions in your life and even most of the small decisions. Like, where should I live? Who should I marry? Who should I be friends with? What sort of job? do I want? You know, what car do I want to drive? Like if you want to appear big and intimidating, you'll want a different car than if you want to be like not noticed, right? Mm -hmm. So the first step is sort of noticing that something that has been beyond your awareness has been running your life. Second step, learn this map of the the patterns. It's a map of personality, really. And be able to notice what patterns you do and the difference between you personally being in pattern and being present. Because the goal is to come back to being present. That's where you're able to be in the present moment and actually respond to what's going on here and now and respond to it in a way that's measured, that's calibrated to what's going on here and now. Whereas if you're caught in something from the past, your response may not make any sense in the present and it may be like way too big. You may have a lot more energy on it. Like, you know, in psychology, we all know that the the signal that some old trauma from the past just came up or you got triggered into that is that your response to a given situation just had way more energy than was necessary. So notice that you're in prison, learn about the patterns, learn about your own patterns, and then start practicing the energy skills that will help you shift out of pattern and back to presence. And there might be a whole bunch of trauma caught in your body that you'll need to find a way to heal because that trauma is fueling staying in the pattern. For instance, if I'm just going to make up an extreme example here. If you got beaten by your parents as a kid, you had to find some way to deal with that, right? 
So it might be that now when somebody, you know, starts to inflate, starts to look big and intimidating and scary, if what you learned to do as a kid was to get away, then now you've got your, your awareness out all the time looking for who's scary. I'm going to avoid them before they even get near me. You know, if so-and-so is going to that party, I'm not going. Or if I'm at the party and they show up, I'm out the back door. Or same childhood problem, you know, your parents beat you. Maybe you couldn't get away and you couldn't fight back. It didn't work. And the only thing you could do was hunker down and hide. You learn to hunker down. So you don't leave the party, but you shut up. Or same situation in childhood. Maybe you learned that when your parents beat you, you could fight back. And maybe you didn't win, but you could fight. And you chose the path of fighting back. So you see somebody else come into the room who's carrying a little bit of extra size and energy and trying to look intimidating. And you feel your body inflating, right? You notice you sort of stand up straighter and you look around for weapons. What am I going to do here, right? Is this going to be physical? Is this going to be insults? How do I take this person down, right? So we tend to do automatically now whatever we learned worked for us as a child. The problem, of course, being that the whole world is not the same as our situation growing up. So now maybe a lot of those strategies aren't the best thing to do anymore. Is that making sense? Mm. I'm just thinking, because I know that when I'm in a moment of being triggered or feeling upset or just uncomfortable in any way, I really, it's either contracting or hiding. Like I'll just completely shut down and, and won't speak. Yeah. So I'm wondering with what you just shared, like in the moment when I'm doing that, for example, just using me as an example, what changes when you start doing this work and releasing in that moment? Like, would I then become like more just able to communicate better or like, how have you seen transformations when people are releasing those or maybe changing their safety, the way that they feel safe in those moments? Yeah, I think just deciding to be different doesn't really work for people. Right. You know, if it did, who'd need <laughs> psychotherapy or any kind of healing? You will just decide, <laughs> to, you know, I'm just going to release it and now it's all done. <laughs> so clearing the trauma out of the body mm-hmm. is a really important step. Fortunately, we now have a, a bunch of different methods in energy psychology that actually do clear trauma out of the body. And we didn't have that in traditional talk therapy for 100 years which has been one of the problems of talk therapy, that we could figure out what happened and when it happened and how it happened and who was there and how you feel about it and stuff, but it still happened and it's still stuck in your body. So first thing is clear out the trauma and alongside that, learn the energy skills, especially the ones that are missing for you. So if, for instance, Catherine, you get caught in enduring pattern probably with enduring pattern, you already have a strong sense of grounding. Because in order to make enduring pattern work, you have to be able to go down and connect into the earth and literally send your energy down there to hide. And then the problem is you get stuck down there and can't do anything, like can't talk, can't act, right? But grounding is something you're probably already good at. 
what's needed is to be able to bring that energy back up and do something with it in the world. So for instance, it would be good to start each day with maybe half an hour of some kind of strong exercise for the lower body. Bicycling, kickboxing, dancing, running, even walking fast. Anything that gets the lower body moving so that your energy actually gets moving through your system. And then gradually learn how to bring that energy up and fill your space. Because part of the strategy for enduring pattern is instead of holding your own bubble of energy around yourself, which would be ideal, to collapse that in to try to be smaller and not be noticed and not be attacked, to not show up on their targeting radar, right? Yeah, it's interesting because I always gravitate towards high intensity running, especially. So I'm naturally, I think, and probably trying to get that energy out because I'm always, yeah. that's what I gravitate towards. Yeah, it's probably real helpful for you. So now I want to ask you what might be some of those kinds of tools that someone with the rigid pattern could use? Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So for rigid pattern per people, One of the illusions of the rigid pattern is that there is only one right way to do anything and that my way is the right way. And the whole problem in this interaction is you just don't understand the right way. So I'm going to teach you the right way and then you'll know and then everything will go fine. So it's like growing up in the rigid pattern, and I did that too, we become, it's like we join the church of the one right way. And it becomes like a religion for like, there's a right way to do this and it's important and we have to do it the right way. And since other people who don't necessarily do the rigid pattern don't share this belief, they look at us and they think, like, I just want to do it my way. What's the big deal? Like, why are you getting so upset about this? You know, God will not die if I'm five minutes late, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting because I think that like when I was thinking about my own kind of examples of this, yes, there's certainly that like wanting to do the right way. But one of the ways it expresses for me as well is like kind of being obsessed with like finding what the right way is. Even if like I recognize like, whoa, I don't know what the right way is right now. Like I need to find that out. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Like there should be a right way for everything. Yeah. And amazingly enough, there are lots of situations in life in which there isn't any actual right way. You get to do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, what kind of ice cream do you want? You, there are a lot of flavors and it's okay to want any flavor you want. Mm-hmm. So for a person caught in rigid pattern, first thing to realize is this belief that I have used to organize my life that there is one right way and I must know it, this might not actually be true. And secondly, this whole focus on doing it the right way is getting in the way of having a lot of fun. Like what if we could relax and just enjoy? What if we didn't have to get better? Those of us who do rigid pattern often become self-improvement junkies (laughs) because the right thing to do is to improve yourself. Right? Yeah. And I do think some of us do get joy out of that as well, you know? That's true. And a certain amount of satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
On the other hand, if you're really dedicated to there is a right way, and you have decided that it's your job to improve your sweetheart, unless your sweetheart also does the rigid pattern, they probably are not on board with that project. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. So, you know, I mean, you can get two people who both do rigid pattern and marry each other. And as soon as they agree on what the rules are, then everything is fine. It's like there are rules and we follow the rules in this household and these are the rules and you children, you shall follow these rules too. And there's no arguing about it. And then you get a kid who doesn't care about the rules, but cares about a heart connection instead. And that kid doesn't fit in. I've known lots of people who were that kid in the family where mom and dad do rigid pattern. And one of the problems with rigid pattern is when the other person or your child does the wrong thing, disappoints you, there's an unconscious tendency to pull the plug on the heart connection without feeling it, without knowing it. But if your kid is three years old or five years old, they're very tuned into that heart connection, that cord from heart to heart, and they will notice, and it will be devastating to them to lose that energy connection with you. And they don't get like, you know, So I spilled the milk. Why don't you love me anymore? Right? I love the idea of like identifying or doing our best to identify this in others, whether it's our child, whether it's Mm -hmm. the person we're in relationship with, because I think this gives us a really nice framework and tools for starting to identify how does this person in my life react when they're uncomfortable? And then you can kind of have something to work with there. Absolutely. And just first and foremost, realizing What if all the other people in the world aren't actually just like me? Because most of us start out with that belief. Everyone else sees the same world that I see. They experience it the same way. And then they have these weird beliefs and they do these weird things and I don't understand. And then we decide, well, they must be stupid or they must be wrong or, you know, something's wrong with them or maybe something's wrong with me. But it's very hard for us since we've never experienced how the other person is perceiving the world through their patterns. We've only experienced how we are perceiving it through our patterns. It's very hard for us to even imagine that their experience could be so different. And that is one of the main things that I've gotten from studying maps of personality in general. I first learned that studying the Enneagram with Helen Palmer. And I was just astounded at this idea because I was pretty stuck in the whole rigid thing about, you know, there's a right way and we all see the same world. And through that study of the Enneagram, I began to realize, damn, these other people are actually experiencing the world completely differently than I am. It's almost like they're watching a different movie. And to understand them and to communicate skillfully with them, I have to understand how they are experiencing it, and what's important to them. Like, for instance, merging a person who's really caught in merging pattern, for them, the heart connection is really important. If you want to connect with them, shift your energy, shift your awareness to your heart, make the heart connection first, then talk. And talk heart to heart. If you're asking them for something, you say, it would make me really happy if you would do this for me 
Would you do that? They don't care about whether the rules say it's right. They care about making you happy. Totally different approach than if you're talking to someone who does rigid pattern or is caught in rigid pattern. You might say, well, I think this would be the right thing to do, right? Because that's what they care about. Now, they might disagree with you about the right thing. But once you get that sorted out, they want to do whatever is right. But a person who's caught in merging pattern cares much more about the personal heart connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because I think it would lead to so much more compassion, you know, even like with Stefani and I working together all the time, like understanding what our safety patterns are yeah, and knowing, well, this is just a safety mechanism to feel safe. So I would just feel like it would bring up so much more compassion for the other person. Absolutely. Now they might not consciously know that they feel unsafe. Yeah. Or, you know, if they do aggressive pattern, for instance, admitting you feel scared is like not allowed because then you would be small (laughs) and you have to be big and strong so that you have to make the other person scared. So you can't know that you're scared personally. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's my second pattern. The aggressive. I'll go into rigid first and then if things get bad enough, switch into aggressive pattern. (laughs) And I was literally 37 years old before I really got the kind of fear that other people were feeling. Mm -hmm. I had not really felt it go through my body like other people had. I I had thought they were pretending, or I don't know what I thought, but I didn't get what it could be like for people. You talked a little bit earlier about the existence of techniques and the importance of becoming familiar with them as we start to build awareness around these types and and what we're using for safety. And I know that you are an EFT practitioner. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if you could tell us a little bit about what that is and how it might relate to this work. Yeah, sure. So EFT is a tool or a technique for clearing trauma out of the body. And it's probably the best one that I have studied thoroughly and really learned how to use. And by EFT here, we mean emotional freedom technique. It's important to remember that there's another thing in psychology designed to help couples, which is called emotionally focused therapy. And it has the same letters, but it's a completely different thing. So I just want to say that to help people get clear on it. This EFT is emotional freedom technique. It's the tapping process. And it really does clear old trauma out of a person's body. And it goes really well with knowing this map of personality because the map shows you what sort of core trauma you're probably looking at. What kind of trauma probably is the root of this person's stuckness. This person's, it's, you know, kind of what's keeping them in their prison. And if you can find that and clear that out, it really can do transformative work. How would it actually work in one of these scenarios? How do you do it and how would you apply it? When a person comes into therapy, they don't know what they need because they're only aware of the surface. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you say, what's the problem? They might say, well, you know, I'm smoking too much dope or I'm using cocaine or I'm yelling at my wife or I'm, I can't stand up to my boss. Every time my boss yells at me, I just shrink and I hide in the corner. Or I can't stay in a relationship. 
Like they've got the symptom level, but they don't know what's driving that. So the more that the practitioner or the therapist understands about what might be the root cause of that, the easier it is to work down through the layers and find the root cause and then heal the root cause. Similarly, we haven't talked about this, but when a person habitually learns to move their attention in one or in two of these different ways, away, towards, down, up, or narrowing it, it has the same effect on the flow of life energy through their body. And changing the flow of life energy actually changes how the body grows when you're growing from a child into an adult. So it will have an effect on the size and shape of the body. If you are bringing a lot of energy up into the upper part of your body frequently, that will tend to make the upper part of your body grow bigger in proportion to the rest of your body. Think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Aggressive pattern, big shoulders, right? Almost all the bodybuilders do two patterns, aggressive and enduring, so they get a lot of energy in the upper body, and enduring gets a lot of energy in the lower body. A person who does, say, leaving pattern, in which energy goes away from the body, the body never gets strong. So they're not going to become a bodybuilder. They can't build any muscle. But the reason I started talking about that is if you're a therapist or a practitioner, as the person walks into your office, you can be looking at their body, noticing their posture, their gestures, their tone of voice, the volume of their voice, the rapidity of their speech, and getting a lot of clues about what pattern or combination of patterns might this person be caught in right now, right? For instance, speaking style for enduring pattern. So I want to say something, not quite sure, well, what it is, but you get all the pauses there? Other people are going to want to jump in, which would be an invasion, which would repeat the old wound, which is being invaded and over-controlled. Speaking style for leaving pattern. Energy is mostly up in the head, very strong in ideas, thinking very fast, seeing everything very fast. So the speaking style tends to be really fast. Like the person can just keep talking and they really know where they're going and they know what they're saying. And there's a lot to say and the words really don't get there. So it's just really fast. You get the difference. A person who does rigid pattern wants to say it correctly. So the grammar will be correct if grammar was important or the pronunciation will be correct. A person who doesn't do rigid pattern might not care at all about grammar and pronunciation. A person who's really caught in merging pattern is very focused on you. Well, how's what I'm saying affecting you? Do you like me? I want you to like me. I think I like you, but do you like me? What can I do to get you to like me? Who should I be for you? Right? At a party, a person who does merging pattern is going to be really popular because they're really skillful at reading everybody else and seeing, who do you want me to be? In high school, these are the girls who get to be prom queen and get to be cheerleaders. And, you know, they get elected to those things because they're good at being who someone wants them to be. And it's a great skill. It's a really important skill. 
that reminds me of, of mirroring that I know is talked about so much in sales in certain kinds of business people. And I think that's really interesting because even when I think about people who are great at sales and, and those kinds of lines of work, they are really great at that. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was thinking about as you were going through the different expressions in terms of the language that the different types use is that I imagine that may be triggering from one type to another. Like I know sometimes I can be triggered or annoyed when someone is really speaking slowly or like really doesn't know what they want to say. And I imagine that could happen on on both sides. So I wonder when it comes to relationships, whether romantic, colleague, friendship, and, mm-hmm. and we're talking about different patterns, are there certain ones that just don't work together versus certain ones that kind of have more of a chance of being productive together? Well, first thing is almost everybody feels more comfortable being with other people who are like them. So whatever patterns you do, you're going to feel more comfortable in the company of people who also do at least one of your patterns. Because then you share sort of a common language and a common approach to the world and a common experience of the world. And you can at least agree on that. Right? Yeah. Now, that means you both have the same skill sets and you also lack the same skills. So when we're talking about assembling a team in a corporation, you know, a work team, or we're talking about a uh, a romantic relationship, it's not always best to have two people who have exactly the same strengths and the same weaknesses. Like if you get two people together who both do enduring pattern, nobody's ever going to take initiative. They'll, you know, sort of secretly yearn for each other from across the room and nobody ever goes over and says, you know, I think I really like you. How about if we go out? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, obviously that has happened sometimes, so I don't want to make an absolute statement, but the tendency is not. So you get in romantic relationships and in creating teams, you know, whether it's a building a house team or a sales team in a corporation or a a technical team to, you know, make software or something, engineering, you want to get on the team different people who have different skill sets. So like a person who does leaving pattern is really good at being creative. They're not chained to the physical dimension of time and space the way most of us are. They go to all kinds of other dimensions and get all kinds of amazing stuff and they can bring it back here. So you want to have on your team somebody who's really creative if being creative is important to this team. Now, they're good at starting it, but they're not good at finishing. So you want to get other people who have the skills of actually like the person who does rigid pattern will be able to break down all the steps. Okay, in order to actually create this thing, manifest thing, we have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? And I'm going to organize it and I'm going to make sure we get all the supplies here and all the people and we're all on time and then we're going to do it. And maybe you need somebody Music else. Music my ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love totally, Stefania. <laughs> you might need somebody else who does aggressive pattern to take charge. Mm-hmm. You know, in the midst of chaos, other people are going, ah, run away, you know? And the person who does aggressive pattern is probably going, I will handle this. Yeah. This is not going to get me. I will solve this. I will win. 
Yeah. Right. So the the CEOs of corporations frequently do aggressive pattern, mm. but they have people around them who do rigid pattern to handle the details. They have a whole team of people who do leaving pattern to get creative. Now you get a combination of leaving and rigid in the same person. They're good at finding something new and then bringing it into physical form. So a lot of the terrific musicians, for instance, do both leaving and rigid pattern because they can find the song, they can bring it into this dimension, and then they can actually put it in physical form. Mm, yeah. I think that one thing I'm taking away from this, especially for someone who's thinking about this in the context of a group or team, is that if we are identifying these different patterns in others, and even if they are frustrating at times or we don't get them, having this awareness or knowing that the fact that that is their pattern and it's different means that they have these other, I'll say, gifts or abilities that they're bringing to the table as well. And so it's actually a good thing. It is. And it's really important to remember that in order to make any of these patterns work for you, you are practicing a certain set of skills day and night, and you get to be really good at them. So whatever two patterns you do, you have the gifts of those two patterns. And you may have some other gifts too, but you have at least those two or you couldn't make those two patterns work for you. So like if you're hiring a greeter for Walmart, you want someone who stands at the front door and says hi to everyone who comes in, get someone who does merging pattern. They're going to stand there and beam love at everybody and be glad to meet every single person. Who else can do that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Other people would get bored. Well, there's one question that we ask all of our guests, and that is what life experience has been your greatest teacher? Oh, yeah. Actually, attentional practice has been my greatest teacher. And this is what's underneath all meditation teaching. They don't talk to you about it. It's also underneath all skill building, whether you're studying piano or learning to high jump. You're practicing putting your attention somewhere in particular and keeping it there. Now, I learned this mostly in meditation schools, but you can learn it practicing anything. The more voluntary control a person develops over their own attention, the more control they have over their own experience of life. And as far as I can tell, it is the main factor in what kind of experience of life do you have. If your attention habitually always goes to the future catastrophes that could happen, oh my God, this could happen and that could happen, right? You're spending all your time in catastrophe futures, even if the present is just fine. Mm-hmm. And your life feels terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it doesn't have to. If you have a positive bias of attention and you only see what's wonderful and good and you're somehow blind to problems, then you're getting surprised by problems. You might, for instance, be surprised to discover that cocaine is really not good for you because it's kind of addictive. But it felt good at first, right? So why stop? It's hard to detect what's an enemy, what's not good for you. But for me, all the time I've spent in meditation schools, and it's been quite a bit, 
Because <laughs> I started when I was in college and I, I was terrible at it for a long, long time. But that practice of learning to control where my attention goes moment to moment is really the, the most important thing I've learned in my whole life. That's beautiful. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I intend to eventually write a book about it. Well, speaking of your book, if someone wants to check out your book or just learn more about you and your work or, or work with you, where's the best place for them to go? So there is a website for the book, cleverly called the5personalitypatterns.com. Hard to miss, right? <laughs> Why not make this obvious? And uh, there's a lot of information there about these different patterns. There's a person can download, for instance, a sheet talking about personality traits of the five patterns because everybody wants to get that first. And then I have to sort of talk them out of thinking about personality traits into like, what are your safety strategies, guys? Mm -hmm. And there are recordings there of how to do each of the energy skills. And we didn't name them all, but there's a whole bunch. So that people who want to learn more about or practice these different energy skills have some help there. There are some free webinars people can watch about the patterns. There's one that sort of is a condensed version of the material in the book. I think it's called Understanding Yourself and Understanding Others, something like that. There's another one about developing the energy skills called How to Create a Self. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there that people can look at and get. All right. We will include all of those links in the show notes as well so that it's easy to find. Good. Do you work with people one-on-one -on -one at this point? Yeah, I still do. Mm -hmm. I've just turned 70. So, you know, I won't be forever, but yeah. I am still doing that, especially via video these days. Yeah. We're not seeing anybody in person. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. Maybe soon. Yeah. yeah. I hope. We're glad we got to do this, um, even virtual. It was so great to talk to you and learn more about this. It's really fascinating. Thank you. So thanks very much. Thank it's, you. it's a real treat to be interviewed by people who do it so well. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend and hit subscribe so you never miss a show.